It is really um, awesome to be here. Um, God's just been making me really, really excited with um, what he's bringing us into. And um, the revelation that he's showing us changes everything. really does. Um, I have to wear these now. These are, I think they're magnifying glasses. You know, you just buy them from the chemist. But I'm finding that it's like I can't, my arm's just not long enough. Um, but anyway, I've, I've called this from seed to full fruit, the process of maturity. And you can see I've got a display here. Um, and I just want to have a look at, <laughs> we might just turn this around. I'll come back to this. Um, but we're basically going to have a look at the parable of the sower, it's sometimes called, or the seed, or the soil. doesn't really matter. God, Jesus didn't call it anything, really. <laughs> um, but before we do that, when I looked at all this, there's a whole lot of other things in Mark 4 that actually illuminate what he's saying in in that parable. And so I wanted just to look at those things because um, it means that we, we have clarity what we're, what we're listening to. So if you want to turn to scriptures, I, I've actually got quite a few scriptures this morning, so I might not give you a heap amount of time, but if you want to write some things down, I'm really into digging it in, uh, digging afterwards. Um, so we may have to push through them fairly quickly. But Mark 4, 26 to 23 is um, sometimes called the parable of the seed. So all of these things are about seed, and we want to see what was the perspective on seed. So he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How he himself does not know. And listen to this. The soil produces crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. So this is where this display comes in. So we've got the grain. This is corn seed. It's cool stuff. My animals must be able to smell it because they were trying to eat it last night. Um, and then... So, so corn is actually a grass, evidently, so it shoots up blades first. So blades come first from the, the seed, and then you get the ear that is formed, and then you get the full grain on the ear, which you can see in here. The nice, juicy stuff that we love to chomp on. So there's a whole lot of other stages, and I'll speak a bit about one of those but what we, what we are seeing is a picture here. Um, this, I'm just going to lift it up once, just so you have a look at this. This is a very, very cool sculpture I found, and it sits outside my music studio, because to me it speaks of life coming out of this seed. See how it's just like this joy of exuberation of life, of loving him, of being given this life and just worshipping him. Um, so that's why that's up there. 
The next parable I want to have a look at um, briefly is the parable of mustard seed, which is um, in the next four verses, 30 to 34. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the year can nest under its shade. So we've got two pictures here. We've got one that's going the corn going from seed through the many stages until there's full fat um, kernels on this grain, uh, on, on this cob. And we've got this other one where there's a tiny, tiny seed, very insignificant when you look at it externally. But what it contains, when that is sown in soil, becomes larger than anything else around it. This is the kingdom. This is what he's talking about. It can't be judged by the external because it's about what's contained on the inside and needs to grow. So we see that God's, it's a very obvious thing. What is seed about? Seed is about growing something, isn't it? So seed is pretty useless as a seed. It has to come into full maturity to, to realize the, the potential that's in the seed, right? It's very plain language, yeah? So we move now onto this parable of the sower or the seed or the soil, which um, is split up between two passages, and I'm not going to read them now, but it's between verses 3 and 9 where he tells the parable and between 13 and 20 when he explains the parable. And there's a key, one little sentence that actually is the key to understanding this whole parable, and it's found in verse 14. The sower sows what? The word. Okay. So the seed is the word. So, okay, Here's the thing with this. When I used to read this, I used to think, okay, so now um, this is about using the word. And I saw the word as something that was separate somehow. It was sort of like um, a power tool that God gave me to use. That's the way I saw it, you know. So we use the word to... Um, to make ourselves get greater, bigger, fuller, more powerful somehow. But I, when I read this sort of thing, I used to think that, that it was about using the word and then I was to go and produce fruit. And it was all about, fruit was in totality. It was about how many souls had come to Christ through my influence. And that was the whole entire parable to me. And so I used to get bummed out, eh, when I, and oh man, 30, 60, oh, I better get busy, you know, because <laughs> it was all entirely to do with that. And the thing is that I didn't, it's not that I didn't have a relationship with Christ, but I had compartmentalized the word and Christ. And 
it just completely doesn't work <laughs> if you use the word aside from having a living relationship. And I was, I was looking at it the other day. You know, Jesus talks to Satan when he's being tempted, and he says, man um, shall not live on bread alone. But look what he says. But by every mouth, a word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So why didn't he just say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by God's word? Interesting, eh? You see, the word comes from the living mouth of a living God whom I know. That's a whole different thing. The Pharisees knew the word. The Pharisees loved the word. But it did them no good at all because they never knew the one who was the word. See, Christ is in the, in the, in the Bible, in, in John 1, 1. It is explained that Jesus is the word. And I was just like, okay, I know this in theory, but like that's just like out there I don't understand. But you see, the living reality of this I have found to be entirely different. Because when he abides in me, in every word he speaks, brings the most indescribable, phenomenal life, love, empowerment, deliverance, and faith. It's an entirely different position of, of living because he is in me. And the words he speaks are coming from him in me. So he's abiding in me. The other, the other thing I just wanted to, um, us to go on a little imagination trip, okay? I'm sure there's a film that's been made about this kind of thing. So say there's terrible catastrophes happen in the world and um, everyone's been obliterated, but a, a select few who have survived by going and burrowing underground and living underground, okay? So there's these survivors and they have... Um, had children, and then they have died, but the children are there. So we have a group of survivors under the under the earth, in the in the um, caves and whatever they've done, and they're surviving under there, but they've never been on the top of the surface, right? They've never seen it. They don't know about it, and someone comes to them. Someone who has been on the top of the earth, and the, and the earth is fully functional, beautifully restored. And they come, this, this person comes to, um, to tell them about the sunshine, say. What sunshine is? How would you go about describing that to people that have never, ever experienced it? What, what would you do? How would you make them understand that what this sunlight is? How can you do it? You can't really, can you? The only way that they can know it is to take them outside to experience, to have their bodies fed by this, this sun and its rays, to feel the warmth, to have life come into their bodies because of, of, of sunshine. They, they, they would have to overcome so many things to do that, wouldn't they? They would have to overcome such fear of the unknown because 
this person would be talking of a reality that they had no idea what he was on about. Isn't that correct? So it would take incredible faith and trust. So their position would have to be in a relational position with that person, would it not? So they would trust the person and go into this new, not because they understood what the new was, but because they trusted the person. And you see, this is exactly who Jesus is to us. He has come from the kingdom of light to show us a way to escape from the kingdom of darkness and learn to live with him in the kingdom of light, a totally different realm. So this is not something about we understand it first and we get it all sorted out and then we enter in. It's about a relationship with him as he takes us in and shows us this new, entirely new this reality called the kingdom of light. And we have to learn how to live all over again, totally differently. Everything is different. He's calling us to walk in light as he is in light. There's this amazing scripture in, in Isaiah 9 too. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of intense darkness and the shadow of death Upon them the light has shined. Isn't that gorgeous? So what I'm trying to say is that this word is him, right? The two are one. Never can they be separated. So when we see that the seed is the word, we're seeing the same thing that we saw about normal seed, that the plan for seed is to come to full maturity. So there's something about this that... He wants him, Jesus, to come, and his words will cause us to come into full maturity. That's his plan. That's the plan of this whole parable. So it means that something that starts small is designed to become bigger until it is bigger and fills everything, like the mustard seed, right? So God's purpose and intent is that the word he sows is designed firstly to birth us as sons into his kingdom, but also to mature us into fullness. And this fullness is described throughout the Bible. In Ephesians 4.13, it says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This is the kingdom of God within us. It is meant to grow like the mustard tree and fill completely. We are meant to go, be transformed from glory to glory. This is what this is talking about. All these things. It's for untold, I've got untold scriptures here. I won't give them to you, but it's for a whole lot of reasons. He doesn't want us to be children anymore. He doesn't want us to become offended. You know, he wants us to be ready to be his bride. He wants us to have the kingdom reigning in us so that we will know how to reign with him. If his kingdom's not reigning in us, how can we possibly reign with him? So there's a really interesting thing I found out about um, corn, and it's the fertilization process. This was fascinating to me. 
You know these annoying things that we have to take off when, when we eat? And man, they're annoying because they get on everything and they're really hard to wash away and everything. These are really, really important. They don't look great at the moment because they've all kind of browned off. But they and another thing called tassels are the, the key elements in the fertilization process. So you have the, the blades coming up and all the leaves and it gets taller and taller. And then at a certain point, the, at the top of the corn plant, one, there's a thing called tassels that come out and it produces pollen. So this is the male part of the plant, right? It's up the top. It's like Christ is the head. Okay, it's right up the top. And each of the corn ears grows these funny thing called silks. And you can see on the inside that they're all lining lining the along the length of the rows of the kernels. You know, the amazing thing is that the pollen falls down and catches on those silks which are pushed out beyond the leaves and then the little pollen grains have to work their way up each of those silks. They're like little tubes and every single of those silks goes to what is an ovule which is where the, the kernels will be. That's the female part. So there's this journey that the male part has to go into the silk and follow right down, and each and every one of those things that will become kernels have to be fertilized separately. To me, that's fascinating. When we look at Christ in us and us in, in him, we're talking about his equivalent to DNA coming into us and forming us. That's the only way to come to full maturity is that, that he becomes in us in every part. So he joins with us. This is what happens. The two become one. The, the male and the female part become one and they fertilize in these fruit. So his word in us works in us in the deepest parts of our being and forms his character, his nature, his way of thinking, his way of seeing, his kingdom way in entirety. There is so much to it, and he forms that in us. And all of those little parts, look, you could look at it individually and say, well, you know, full maturity is, oh, the whole lot has been done. What about corporately? What would it be to be one? Is it not that we've all got his DNA? It's very simple. We've all received from the head, and he has come in and, and filled us with himself. So that's, that's all about the seed. And then we, we've, we've got to have a look at the soil, because... That's what everyone focuses on. But you see, unless we know about the seed and what what the seed is meant to do, we have no vision, no vision, no sense of purpose to this. We're running around in a very um, kind of shallow pool. 
And it's, it's interesting, again, there's something else that's um, in the scriptures that kind of um, opens up this before we get into this. I'll just get my highlighted bit. Okay, so Mark 4, 21 to 25. I'll read this out of the Amplified just because it's um, a little easier to understand. Um, Actually, I'll go from 22. Things are hidden temporarily only as a means to revelation, for there is nothing hidden except to be revealed, nor is anything temporarily kept secret except in order that it may be made known. If any man has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him perceive and comprehend. Here's the one I want to talk about. He said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure you give of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure that it comes back to you. A man could Guzik said this, to the one with no interest in the word, it seems uninteresting. To the one who wants to find fault with the church or the preacher, they find plenty of faults. On the other hand, those who hunger find food. And those who want the solid truth receive something from any faithful ministry. So if we, if we have those ears, we will hear. If we have different ears, we will hear different things. It's all saying the same thing. So the purpose for the soil. Uh, Mark 4, 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Mark 4, 13. Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, don't you understand this parable? How are you going to understand every other parable? Okay, that's interesting. Why is he saying that? Because contained in this parable is a key to understanding all things of the kingdom. You see, the word changing us deep in our inmost being is of such priority to God that anything that stops it happening is going to be described in this parable. And our response to his word determines the ability for that word to enter us and to do its divine work. This is really, really important. He says in, um, Jesus says right at the beginning, Mark 4, 3, listen to this, explanation mark. Maybe he's saying, pay attention, what I'm about to share is of such significance that it'll either bring life to everything from here on in, or if you miss it, you won't understand anything else. Okay, I'm listening. I'm listening. So what could stop me? We look at the path, and it's in verse, verses 4 and verse 15. Some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And uh, verse 15, there are many. Uh, uh, these are the ones who are beside the road where the word was sown, and when they hear, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. You know, the road was the well-traveled pathway. And I've started to see that this parable is not just, okay, this is this person, this is this person. This could be me in a particular area that I've got really rigid on. And I've, I've had things like this that so rigid that I'm not even going to, I don't even recognize the kingdom when it comes. 
and God's had to do some major, major things to dig that up and to, to say, Sandra, you, you, you're stuck. You know, you, you, have to, you have to be receptive that I might actually see things a different way than what you are convinced is correct. So we see this, that um, we see it coming in many, many ways. And I won't go into the details, but you see with Stephen, he, um, he got accused by all these guys from some kind of sect. And they were asking him questions um, and accusing him of saying the wrong things about the temple and customs and stuff like that. And he goes on this great big long discourse trying to lay out the truth for them. And it's over Acts 6 and, 6 and 7. And then he must perceive at some point, these guys are not listening. Because look what he says in verse um, 51. Somewhere, I'm sure it is. Can't find my, my notes, but anyway. It's about, he, he, he talks about, that's right, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Okay, they knew the word, but you see they had covered over ears. And sometimes we can get really rigid and just not be receptive to the kingdom. We don't even know when it turns up. So he's warning us about this. The rocky soil, Mark 4, 5 and, and 16, other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Likewise, these are the ones who are sown in stony, stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble and are offended. Okay. Interesting, isn't it? There's a desire for truth, an immediate reception of the word, but it's all on the surface. There's no root in themselves. So maybe, just maybe, in this area, or completely, I have my root in what my parents believe, or what my pastor believes, or what my church believes. But do I have him in me? You see, it's about truth being in our inmost parts. It's about him dwelling here. Maybe it's because we have attached ourselves to the things around the word, like the fellowship and the feeling of belonging and the cool music and the children's program. What is he talking about? And really, let's examine our hearts because a lot's at stake here. When he talks about tribulation or affliction, it comes from the word for pressure. Now, we all know pressure. And I can tell you, we will all know pressure because pressure is used in the kingdom to bring out what the root system is. 
Pressure is not there to cause us to go off track. Pressure is will come. But you see, Jesus was under intense pressure so much of the time. But did he ever give up or did he ever respond out of offense? Never. So when pressure, when Jesus is in me and pressure comes, do I have to respond like that? No, because the kingdom way is higher than that. And pressure can come and it's gold that comes out. So maybe when pressure comes, we've got to look, do we allow our hearts to back off and be offended? Or could we just, could we just listen and see maybe God speaking to bring us into a greater reality and a greater root system in him? When Stephen was speaking, everyone was offended. But what came up out of Stephen? Was it his own self-preservation? Was it his flesh? He was under incredible pressure and, and persecution, wasn't he? They were stoning the guy. But what came out of him was being full of the Holy Spirit, looking at heaven, seeing Christ, praying for their forgiveness. This is Christ within. This is what he is wanting to develop in us. It's what we need. And that's why he needs us to know about this parable. We need to be prepared. The thorny soil is in 4, 7 and 18. So the other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns came up and choked it and it yielded no crop. The ones sown are the ones who hear the word, then the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. Isn't it interesting that here the thorns come up after the seed was sown? This is one of the reasons why we know that this word he's talking about is not just a word to bring us into salvation. It's a word to bring us the whole way. The word for cares, it's sometimes um, put cares, anxieties, it comes from a word meaning to be drawn in different directions. That's why you get distractions. So we become double-minded and distracted and unable to focus on Christ, easily deceived and subtly drawn to other things more than Christ. Has anyone been there? Yeah. This is common stuff. This is why he's talking about it. He's saying this will come. Be warned. There is a way through it, but you've got to know it's going to come. You can't take for granted that you've just got it all together. He is clearly declaring that the kingdom way is that there is only one Lord and one master. There's only a yielding to and a pursuit of one thing. Just like he says in, in um, Matthew 6, you know, about seek first the kingdom of God. That was after all these other things. Don't go after that. Don't go after that. See, when, when and he says you can't have two masters 
We're not designed to be double-minded, a foot in each camp. And, and, and people, when they hear this, they say, oh, but, but can't I have this and that? Simply no. He's saying you can't, you can't function like that. One will overcome the other. And, and God will not share his throne with anybody or anything. But you see the freedom that you come into when he is Lord and he's on the throne and he's the master is unbelievable because when you're chasing after those things, they enslave you. They, they bind you around. When he adds them to you because he is Lord and he is master, there is no way that that is enslaving me. That could be given away at any moment because it comes without bondage. So that's the purpose for this. It's not because he's being horrible. <laughs> he's a loving father. So the good soil, 4, 8, and 20. Other seeds fell into the good soil and they grew up and increased. They grew, uh, yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And these other ones sown in good soil, they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Luke 8, 15, which is another rendition of this parable, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance, which is about patience. So, you know, I used to look at this and think, okay, so what do I need, what do I need, what do I need to be good soil? <laughs> it's actually, this good heart is the right attitude to God. It's not a striving thing. It's not like, I've got to make it happen and I, I've got to make sure I never sin again. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about this. It, it's about the right attitude to God, knowing that he is master and, and being hungry and crying out to him. The, the thing that I love about this, um, this silks thing to me, it, it's like this plant, this ear with the ovules there knows it needs the pollen. So, so it strains out. You know, these little silks go up and they go out and they're reaching up and the, the pollen will come and it will come into them. But they don't just sit there doing nothing. They're hungry, hungry, hungry. And, and that's what this whole process. That's what our soil is. You know, it's a thirsty ground that we know we need him. We know we, we long for him to come and possess us entirely. And the, the thing that I've found along the way is that so often he shows me something and it's not my reality. It's a bit like this you know, I've been in the bunker and I'm hearing about something and it's like, I have no idea what that's about. But there's two ways I've found that I can respond in that situation. I can either say, you're talking a whole lot of codswallop and there's no world out there. There's, I, what the sunshine thing is, I have no idea. And I'm sure it doesn't exist because the world is defined by what I know. Yeah, my present reality is this. We can either redefine truth to make it match our reality, 
Or we can do, and this is the thing that I've found so much freedom in, when I see that there's something I don't understand and there's this thing he's trying to show me, I say, God, I can see that's your truth. It's not my current reality. Please take my reality and put it into that, that truth. And he does it. It's this process of seeking after because I'm now seeing that that's his truth. I don't understand it. I, don't, I can't comprehend it. But I know it's his truth and I know him. And he brings me step by step into that reality. And that's what good soil's about. It's about the seeking after, having that, that desire for him and, and seeing that happen. And the, the result of this, I'm such a little way in on this, but what I have seen, the power of his living presence living in me is such incredible change. And, and we have to ask the question, if the word comes and there is no change, is it the word's fault or is it that we haven't heard it properly? Because that's what this parable is saying. The word comes and there's change. And the change I can testify is not something that I've just gone and I've got to do this now. It used to be. I need to be more patient with people, and I need to be more this. And I would strive and strive, and there was no life in that. But the change that he has built in me is that I'm finding without, suddenly I realize that I'm not up and down like a yo-yo anymore. I, I'm, when, when people come at me, it's like it's not turning me into this kind of, little, ah, ah, I, I just want to crawl into a cupboard and die, you know, which is what I used to be like. I'm not under all the fear. All of those things have happened because of his abiding presence in me. It's not me, it's him in me. So this is the cool thing. I just want to finish with a couple of verses, but John 15, 7 and, uh, 7 and 8 is just so totally what this is about. If you abide in me, this is Jesus talking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, remember they're the, the same thing. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Isn't that gorgeous? So the fruit is him in me, just like this, one seed produced many ears, but on an ear, how many potential seeds are there? You see the life? All the genetic code is in one of those things. That's, that's where all this multiplication thing happens, because he brings us into maturity and the things that he sees, we see. The things that we, he does, we do. The things that he sees, we say. The responses in our heart that he has, we have. Not because we're trying really hard, but because he's in us. 2 last ones. Ephesians 3, 16, 17. Be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. This is where it's got to go. 
so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. Not the knowledge about him out there. The true knowledge of him is him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There in black and white, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So that's it, really. I just want us to know, I want us to have a... Um, a revelation of a greater future purpose that will inspire faith to know that he has made a way for that to happen in us and that the purpose for having only one Lord and one Master is not out of anything other than what he is building in us, which is eternal, which... For me, my world is totally right way up now because what he is doing and what he is building and his eternal purpose is so much more important than the everyday stuff that I was sludged down in. And that's the thing that he does on the inside. So I'll let you take that where you want.